We want to welcome all of you here today as well, whether you are here in the room in person or the hundreds worshiping with us online as well. We believe it's no accident that you are here. My name is Pastor John. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am here to tell you today, I'm super excited about what God is doing here in this room, but we can't forget about our online worshipers today. Over the last several weeks, we've had seven or eight different states uh, represented uh, from all across the United States worshiping with us, and for the first time today, a good group from Australia. So Hope Elam's gone international today, so we're excited about that. There is so much to celebrate today. I don't know if you caught it when Emma shared at, at the beginning, but not only our confirmation students here uh, in the rows before you, but half of our band today was led by students. So let's give God praise again for our band. So good. It's awesome. It's, it's a day of new beginnings around here. And we know that a lot of you are new, and I want to share a little bit about that today. It's not just about the, the students that are new. Maybe all of you are feeling some sense of newness today. We're a new church. There's a lot of new faces. And one of my favorite things to do as a pastor here is to get to, to, to see and meet a lot of new people over these last few weeks. This last week after a class, a member here uh, introduced me to this new couple that had been worshiping here for a while. And you can't exactly get to know people super well with the mask, but I could see that their eyes were engaged. And they said, we're, we're new to Hope Elam, and not just new to this church, but church period. And maybe that describes some of you today. Uh, and so we get to know them a little bit more. They said, we're, we're really just new to church in general. We've been coming. We checked out worship. We're taking this class. And, and I could just tell that they were engaged and they were excited. And the, I'll never forget what the young man said. They were in their 20s. And the young man looked at me and said, I, I guess I don't have the words to describe what I feel like God is, is, is doing in our lives. But he said, it's like there's this fire inside of both of us and we can't stop talking about what God's doing at Hope Elam and it just keeps growing and growing and it gets bigger and bigger and they have never done church before. They have never followed Jesus this wholeheartedly before and with all genuineness and innocence and authenticity they look me in the eyes and say so now what do we do? Like we feel the Holy Spirit we feel this fire burning inside of us literally they're asking the question what is church? How do you do this? When's the last time you asked that question? With genuineness, with the innocence, and, and then the posture of surrender and openness to say, God, I'm here for whatever you want. I'm not walking in these doors. I'm not signing online for worship to get what I want to get out of it. But they had this genuine openness to say, God, we want whatever you want. What does it mean to be the church? And whether you've been coming to church your whole life or you're brand new like this couple was, this is a really good time to ask that question. We are a new church. And if you're looking around the room today saying, well, there's a lot of people and this is a big room. I don't know everybody. That's fine. Everybody's new. We're all in the same boat together and we're getting to know each other. And so this would be a really good time for us to ask the question, who or what is the church? That's the question we're going to go after in our time this morning, and it's a very, very important question. Because one of the things I love about Hope Elam, as you look around, is that we're very, very diverse in a lot of different ways. And one of those ways is that all of us come with different experiences and backgrounds of the church, depending on our family upbringing. Some of you are like, confirmation? What? What's that all about? I don't know. Some of you experienced worship here this morning. What happened? They took the words off the screen. Now what am I supposed to do? I don't have a hymnal in my hands. This is different when it's normal for other people. 
And all of us have different assumptions and ideas of what it means to be the church based on your upbringing. For some of you, maybe it's, well, this is a tradition. You grew up and you say, well, I come to church a few, you know, Christmas and Easter and maybe on confirmation, and I come because it's a tradition in my family and my parents drug me here, and now it's just going to be a tradition for us. This is what we do. And we do that for an hour on Sunday, but then that's about it. For others of you, it's more of a, an event that you come. It's like a concert you come to. And I hope that the sermon's good today, and I'm going to come and, and just, I don't really want to worship. I just kind of stand and listen and take it all in and consume it like a, like a concert. For others of you, maybe it's a, just kind of a spiritual boost. You know, I'm just going to come and get my spiritual fix for the week and, you know, let, let Pastor John or Pastor Hurst dissect the scriptures for me and then I'll just go on with my normal life because there's my normal life and then there's my hour on Sunday morning. For others of you, it's as innocent as, well, this is where my friends are. I really like to come and connect with my friends or my small group and so really it's just kind of a social thing. I go out to eat and I go to the mall and I go out with friends and then I come to church and it's just one more social engagement. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves, except they're not the whole picture. They miss the point. If we're going to find out what is this all about, like my friend with big bright eyes and an open heart and a fire burning inside of him was asking, what is this all about? It would be good for us to go not to the beginning of Hope Elam, but beginning of the church of how it all started and answer that question, who or what is the church. To do that, open up your Bibles or your Bible apps on your phone, and we're going to go to Luke chapter 24, to the story that Brixton read so well for us this morning. Luke chapter 24. If you're new to the Bible, that's totally fine. If you've got a Bible app, you just punch it in. Even easier. If you've got the old-fashioned book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels. And we are going through, go ahead and go to the next slide, we're going through a series right now called Hope Appears Right on Time. Everybody say, right on time. Jesus always shows up right on time. And we are looking at some of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Sometimes we forget that in Jesus' day, after that first Easter, there's no social media. There's no 24-7 news. And so when big, crazy, exciting events happen, you can't just hop on Twitter and find out five minutes later. It takes a while for that information to get out. So Jesus has been showing up to a variety of people, and that's where we pick it up our story in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. There are two men that are on their journey, on their way from Jerusalem to the town of Emmaus. We read in verse 13, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about what had happened, about what had happened to Jesus, that Palm Sunday happened, then he was betrayed, and then he was brought before Pilate, then he was crucified, and he was died, died on a cross and put in a tomb. That's all they know. The word hasn't got out. They don't know anything more than that. Look at verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and started walking with them. Verse 16. But they were kept from recognizing him. Does anybody remember the show? Maybe this is just me. Undercover boss. Does anybody remember? Okay, a few more than the first service. That's good. So these bosses, these big Fortune 500 companies would disguise themselves as like a regular Jane or a regular Joe, and they would put on a costume and hang out with the common folk. This is the ultimate undercover boss. They don't know that it's Jesus. They're talking about him, and he's right there. Now, what is Jesus doing? I don't know if you noticed that in all these instances where Jesus shows up after the resurrection and appears to people, it's never really to large groups. Yes, eventually it all adds up to about 500 witnesses, so we know the resurrection is real. 
but it's one here, it's two here, it's a small group here, and in this case, these two gentlemen. Why would Jesus do that? He could have shown up and said, you guys, it's me, I'm him, I'm alive. But he doesn't. He enters into their fear. He enters into their doubts and is as close to them so he could just tap them on the shoulder. Kind of like he wants to do with you today. I don't know what brought you here. I don't know if you want to be here or not. But you got to know that the Jesus of the Emmaus Road is as close to you this morning as he was that day. Close enough to tap you on the shoulder and he's knocking on the door of your heart this morning saying, you know there's more. You know there's more. And even if that fire is not burning inside of you this morning, I'm here to light it again. Jesus appears to them in a very real and personal way because he wants it to be real for you. I know Easter happened, but do you know Jesus? Do you know the resurrected Jesus? I know you came and you put on your fancy clothes for Easter, but now a month later, do you know him? Is he, is he your savior? And so the story continues. You skip down to verse 28. They, they keep talking and they don't know it's him. And so they invite this guy, Jesus, to dinner with them. They still don't know it's him. And it's not until they break bread together that we're going to do in Holy Communion a little bit later on that they realize it's Jesus. And they finally realize, what? It's him. It's you. It's the guy that we've been talking about. It's, it's, he's been there the whole time. And then one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, let's read this together, what the two men say to each other. Nice and loud. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? In other words, it's like somebody came inside of them and lit the fire again. The fire, the, the, the passion for Jesus, the hope that had gone out. It's like the same thing that happened with that young man that I was talking to last week. It's like maybe some of you have heard the story of a couple weeks ago, we were finishing up the second service, and a young woman just walked up on the stage after we'd done a couple infant baptisms. She's in her 20s, and she came up and said, well, I want some of that. I want to be baptized right now. And so we baptized her right then at the end of the service. Praise God. That is still happening here today. Praise God. It's, it's almost like the same power the same Holy Spirit, the same resurrected Jesus that showed up on the Emmaus Road that day is showing up every single week here at Hope Elam, and you're invited to experience it for yourself. Don't miss it this morning. Don't come and go through the motions of Christianity that you miss it, and you can experience him in a very real way as well. Now think about the story for a second. They realize it's Jesus, but they'd walk seven miles. That takes a long time, hours, the entire day they've been walking with Jesus, and they just realized it was him. How many of you have been walking through life doubting in your fear, in your pain, in your doubts if Jesus was close? I got really good news for you. If you feel far away from Jesus today, he's, ne he's never left He's not the one that left. He's been walking with you the entire time. Surprise! When you thought you were so far away from him, he was there. He's never been more close to you. A long time ago when your parents split and you thought Jesus was so far away and God didn't love you anymore because your parents had split, he was there walking with you the entire time. When you lost your job, when your marriage fell apart, when you're brokenhearted, when you're going through the pain and battling that addiction and you thought he had left you and given up on you, he was always there walking beside you. Psalms tells us that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and those that are crushed in spirit. Look at verse 21 in the story. This gets right to the point. One of the men shares 
that Jesus has been crucified, (laughs) that they're just devastated. And because of that, look at this verse. We had hoped he was the one. How many of you have said that in your life? You know, I'd hoped that Jesus would come through for me. I had hoped that things would be different. I had hoped that I'd be one of those people that gets really excited about church and about Jesus. I had hoped, but God let me down. But he wasn't really there. If this story is any proof and evidence to you, he was there the whole time. And little do these men know that hope was about ready to come over for dinner, and his name is Jesus Christ. He was there the entire time. And I don't know if anybody in the room or online needs to hear this today, but you're ready to quit. You're ready to give up. And you need to know that it's when you are at the end and you're ready to quit and give up and you've lost hope, that's when Jesus couldn't be closer. And he's tapping you on the shoulder today. And he's looking you in the eyes in a very real and personal way, the same way that he was on the men on the road to Emmaus. And he's looking at you saying, I'm alive. I'm alive. And because I'm alive, you can have a relationship with me today Don't miss it. Don't get lost in churchianity that you miss the point of Christianity. Jesus is alive. You can follow him. You can know him today. And you can have the fire lit in your heart again. You can know him for real. And then just like that, when they realize it's Jesus, poof. I don't know why this is in the story. Jesus disappears. I don't know why, but it's really, really cool. And then we read the very next thing that they do is these guys turn around, they go back where they just came from, and they go back to Jerusalem and tell all the other believers, all the other followers of Jesus, he's alive. I've seen him with my own eyes. The resurrected Jesus, he's not buried in the tomb. He is alive because when your heart has been set on fire and it's burning inside of you, you cannot help but share it with others. And so when we ask the question, who or what is the church, we have to start here. We have to start on the road to Emmaus because just a few days later, we read the story of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came and literally tongues of fire were on top of people and they started speaking in all the different languages. The Holy Spirit came upon them and the church, not this church, the church was born. That's why we have to start here. And so if you boil it all down, Put all away your preconceived assumptions, your bad experiences with the church, whatever you grew up with, and you boil it down and we just look at the Gospels. What is this supposed to be? What did we have? If you boil it all down, this is what it was at that point. Followers of Jesus. Methetes is the word for disciples or student or pupils, people that are following Jesus, not an hour on Sundays, their entire life. Followers of Jesus witnesses to the resurrection. All I know, there was a man named Jesus. He was my best friend. He died, and now he's alive, and I've seen him, and I've touched him, and I know that it's real, and you can't change my mind about that. Witnesses of the resurrection, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then sent on a mission. The very first thing that God does with the church is says, go, go and make disciples. You will be my witnesses. The church is not a building. The church is a group of people that have been set on fire by the love of Jesus and they can't keep it to themselves. The church is a mission. It's a moving train and you're invited to jump along today. The church is not an event that you consume. It's a family that you belong to. It's a mission that you join. Amen? That's what it means to be the church. That's who we are. You'll notice I don't see anything about a building on there, although this is great. I don't see anything about 
a church service. I don't think anything about worship styles, or I like this, or I don't like that, or contemporary, or traditional. I don't see anything about denominations, or uh, committees, or agendas, or anything like that. Now, Jesus did cook breakfast for them, so that is essential to a church, and that's coming very, very soon. The The breakfast is coming. But the point is, if we are going to build the foundation of Hope Elam, of what it means to be the church at five months old, if we're going to build it on the foundation of God's word, it's going to look a little bit more like that and a little bit less like my own opinions and my own agendas and my own comfortability level. And I'm going to say, Jesus, what do you want for Hope Elam? Because we want to be that. We want to be people that have our hearts, just like those two men that day, burning within us, and you get a whole bunch of those people together, and that's the church. That's what it means. That's why every single week, I don't know if you picked up on it, at the end of every service, Pastor Hurst and I say, now that you've come to worship, go and, oh, you can do better than that, go and be the church, because this is not the church, you are the church, and every time you walk out those doors, the church has left the building, amen? That's who we are. That's who we are. And the reason we start there is because some of you are saying, John, I don't, I don't feel like that spirit is burning inside of me. Whether you've been a part of the church for a long time or you're brand new like that couple I was describing, for some of you it's not burning inside of you. It's like, well, maybe it doesn't work and it doesn't come on. And for some of you it's just a little light. This little light of mine, this little pilot light. John, life has beaten me down. I'm an exhausted parent. I've lost a loved one this year. And that flame is pretty small. And sometimes in some days there's not much there. And I can't keep it going on my own strength. And, and I've stopped serving and I've stopped volunteering and I've stopped leading and I've stopped growing. I don't have a lot of joy and passion that I used to have. I used to be really involved. I used to be on fire for Jesus. It used to be this consuming fire inside of me. And now I've talked to many of you. This is it. This is what I've got left. And I just want to tell you today, whatever you've got, bring it to Jesus. And he can fan that flame again to where it's burning inside of you. Some of you, this is your experience with church right now, and you want it to be so much more. And I've got really, really good news, is that Jesus can fan the flame of your heart. And I don't know why this comes to mind every single year, but it's grilling season. And I think of this every May. It was several years ago, our son Caleb was three or four, and he's young, and he doesn't understand anything about grills. And so I had brought this kind of old dungy grill into the marriage from my bachelor days. I don't know why Tiffany let me keep it, but it worked, and it sort of grilled meat, and it sort of grilled itself because it would start on fire. And it was like a $99 Walmart special or something like that, and I guess we were cheap, so we didn't get a new one. And it had a habit of starting on fire. So one day I was out in the back on, on the deck, and I was grilling some hot dogs and hamburgers, and Caleb, he's three or four, and he runs in. He's never seen this before. And he runs in and says, Dad! Ah, daddy, daddy, the grill is on fire. Like, there's flames. It's, it's on fire. And I said, oh, that's so cute. He doesn't understand how grills work. Like, there's a little fire that heats the meat, and then it cooks it. And like, it's okay, buddy. It's supposed to be that way. Shoo, just go out and play. I got it. Literally, four or five minutes later, daddy, 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 um, I think, I think it's burning up. I think the grill is on fire. There's lots of flames. I said, buddy, that's how you cook the food. I am a man. Hear me roar. I grill food. This is what I do. There's flames. <laughs> that's what happens. 
okay, Dad, I trust you. And he walks back out. Literally two minutes later, Dad, it's really close to the house. I think the deck is going to catch on fire. I'm like, maybe I should check it out. And I walk out, and this is what I see. That's my grill. It's on fire. It's very close to the house, and we're a pastor's family. So Pentecost was happening in our backyard. (laughs) I don't know what I did, but everybody's screaming and freaking out, and I had some water nearby, and we made it happen. I tell you that to tell you this. If this is what's inside of your heart today, Jesus, if you ask him, can fan the flames of the Holy Spirit beside you. It's not too late to start over. And he can fan the flame of your heart because he wants that inside of you. And that's what it means to be the church, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can get that back. Don't settle, don't settle for a mediocre, comfortable Christianity when God has called you to be set on fire with his love, to burn for him. You can have that, even if it hasn't been your experience of the church. And so how do we get that? How do we go from a tiny little light to that? Well, you ask him. And it starts by asking the right question. So a lot of us, when we approach this question of what does it mean to be the church, we start with the wrong question. We get off on the wrong track. Sometimes when we walk through those doors and we sign on for online church and we think about joining a church, we ask the first question in our minds is, what's in it for me? And we've already lost our way. What's in it for me? Because we assume that church is like anything else in our lives. I go shopping in the mall or online and I'm asking, what's in it for me? me? What am I going to get out of it? We sign up for a a health club and we look at the different deals and the different programs are available. I want to find the one that best fits my needs that's in it for me. And don't get me wrong, we want you to get your needs met, but a lot of times we treat church like all these other things that we consume. What movie should we watch on Netflix? I want to do one that I like. And everything that we do is a transaction. It's one-sided. What's in it for me? And we're not even thinking about what am I bringing to the table. And the danger is, is that we will treat church the same way that we treat everything else in our lives. I got to go to Target. I'm going to go consume. I'm going to go get what I need and leave. And we have brought that identity and that mentality into the life-saving mission of Jesus Christ that was never meant to be about a transaction. It's about people that have been transformed. You did not choose the church. Jesus said, come on, I'm going to pull out my Pastor Hurst here. Come on, Bible readers. John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but what? I chose you to go and bear fruit, to go and be a part of my mission. Jesus says, I'm going to take your sin and your death and your shame and your guilt, and in exchange, I'm going to give you eternal life that starts now and continues forever. I'm going to give you peace and love and joy that the world can't touch and a deep satisfaction in your soul. And we respond to everything that Jesus has done and say, I don't know, what's in it for me? Oh, we get it so turned around. You did not choose this. Jesus chose you, and he's inviting you to be a part of his mission. And he wants to fan the flame of your heart today. He can do it. It's not a transaction. It's a transformation that happens. And he wants that flame to burn bright. we got to tell everybody about this. That's what the followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus, the the fire was burning bright. It's not about what I can give. It's about what I can give Now, I want to give back. I want to contribute. And the first thing they do is they go and tell. How many people have you invited recently? I just want to challenge you with that this morning. How many people have you said, come and see? How many of you, when you've had an amazing Sunday or you've heard about what God, it's not about Hope Elam. It's about Jesus. 
It's not about us. It's not about the pastor. It's about the master. We say that all the time. It's about what Jesus is doing here. How many people have you said, come and see? How many people have you invited to come sit by you in those empty seats? We'll make room. We'll add more services. You keep inviting and we'll make the room. How many people have you asked, oh, John, it's awkward. It's just kind of inconvenient. I don't want to offend anybody. Is it really that important? I mean, I'm here and I've got my nice comfy seat. Why, why do we need to invite? Let me ask you this. Who invited you? Maybe not today. Somebody at the first service said, they did. It's my first Sunday right down here. Who invited you? Maybe it was a long time ago that somebody looked at you and said, come and see. I want you to meet this man named Jesus because he's changed my life. What's holding you back from that today? When did Christianity turn into your comfortability level instead of a life-changing mission? Who have you invited recently? You want to know who some of the best inviters, some of the best evangelists in our church are? These students up here. And all the ones that have been coming on Wednesday nights the entire year, online or in person. Those of you watching online right now, you keep inviting your friends. Why? Because they don't know any better. This is church to them. I've experienced Jesus. That flame is burning inside of their heart. And they say, well, i got to tell my friends about it. So check it out. Hop on the Zoom. Hop online. Come. Jesus is awesome, and i got to tell more people about it. When did you lose your innocence? When did church become so serious? <laughs> when did it become all about you and getting your needs met? Instead of these junior high and high school students going, I don't know what God's doing inside of me, but I want everybody else to know. They're setting an example for us. It's incredible. And this past week, I had the honor, this past Wednesday night, I had the honor of hearing these students that you're going to hear just a little bit on a video that we made share their faith statements. These students, these eighth grade students stood on this stage and professed their faith in a statement that they wrote. Not that their parents wrote for them or forced them to do it, but this is real and it's raw. One gal got up and said, I don't know if I believe fully yet, and I'm kind of struggling with it, but I know that God loves me. That takes guts. That takes courage. And you should praise God that there are junior high students that think that this is a safe enough place to say, I got some real struggles and I'm hurting, but I know that I'm loved here. Praise God for that. <laughs> praise God for that. Students, we love you, and we're so excited about what God is doing in your life. And so instead of me telling you about it, watch this short highlight video of some snippets of these eighth graders sharing their faith statements. Listen closely, and you might be challenged and inspired as well. Take a look. Every Sunday, we'd walk over to Hubble in our elementary school, where we would sit down and watch the service. It was a new pastor this time though, Pastor John. I looked up to him as a great person. He had a great word of wisdom about faith and continued to teach me about Christianity. Now that I've grown up, my faith in God feels most alive when I'm praying to him, whether it's nightly or when a family member, a friend, or a stranger is having issues, I feel most alive with God then. I know God is real and with us, but I want to work on making time for him every day. A person who has faith in Jesus should do more than pray and go to church and recite the Lord's Prayer. You should not just pray, but mean every word that you say and ask for forgiveness. I want to grow my faith by living every day for God and not just on Sundays and Wednesdays. I figured since I knew God was real, that that was enough. I thought believing in God was enough. But believing in God is not the same as following God. Following God is when you actually act on the scriptures and 
help other people learn about God. As I came to Power Life more, I started to actually try to apply the sermons to my real life. I'm not perfect, nor will I ever be. That's why God gave his only son to die for us. My faith in God feels most alive when I recognize how great he is and how he protects me. While sins get in the way of our relationship, praying or even just talking about him, like I have a power life for the last three years, brings us closer. Looking back at this, I think God was trying to teach me a lesson. I believe he wanted me to see the good in people and help instead of shying away. That wasn't the first time that something like that happened and it won't be the last. I believe God is teaching me to reach out to others, but I can say that he is teaching me every day, even though I might not see him and I'm slowly growing closer to him. I like going to Power Life because I get to see my friends and learn about God. My faith affects my life because I feel safe knowing that God is always looking over me. I know I can always talk to God by praying. I would really like to continue my faith by keep going to church and going to Ignition and learning about God, reading the Bible and verses. It's kind of obvious that we are living in a world of uncertainty right now. A world of fear, some might even call it. And through all this uncertainty, there is one thing that I know forever and always. God loves me. I remember going to Hope for the first time on that Easter service. We talked about how Jesus rose from the dead. This was my first truly time listening and paying attention to how the story of how Jesus Christ rose, and it absolutely amazed me. Ever since that day, I've listened to the sermon and tried to learn something, and every single time, I've been amazed by what God and Jesus Christ can do. God led me into many great things, and when I struggle, he's always a sword to lean on. Amen. Let's give God praise for our students. So awesome. That takes guts. That takes courage. And we are inspired by you, and I want you to know that, eighth graders. I, I, I stood back there and I listened to you on Wednesday night, and I think a lot of us for adults might look at something like that and probably think, oh, Pastor John, I'm sure you're like, oh, that's cute. That's nice for those young people. That's good. You know, I, my kids are grown, and, and that's great for the youth of the church. That's awesome. But let's get back to the real sermon. This is the real sermon, because you know what my response was on Wednesday night? I learned something from you. I was inspired by you, students, young men and young women. I was challenged in my faith by you, and that's the way that it should be. The Apostle Paul talks about it this way. He's talking to his, his uh, protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's read this nice and loud together. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And there's two parts to this challenge. First of all, for those of you that are young, that Paul's talking about here, and that could be the children that are here, that could be teenagers, adolescents, 20-somethings, even 30-somethings. Scholars agree that when Paul is writing this to Timothy, he was probably in his late 20s, or early 30s. And so this is us. I'm speaking to my generation and younger generations. We need you. We love you. You are valued here. You are loved here. And you need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that here at Hope Elam, you are not the future of the church. You are the church right now. So lead on, boys and girls. Lead on, young men and young women. We need you. We are so proud of you, and if any of you are listening online or here in your 20s and 30s, don't wait. Lead now. We want this place crawling with children and students and young adults who are not sitting passively by to watch the adults lead. You take the stage. You lead and confess your faith as these young men and women did. We are so proud of you. And the second part of this challenge is just as important. It's for us as a church, whether you have youth in your life or not. 
It says don't look down on them. And the opposite of that is to lift them up, to give them leadership opportunities. We love children and students here at Hope Elam. And that's why we start very early with nursery and Hope Kids, with Joshua Christian Academy on the fourth floor, Power Life for junior high, Ignition for high school, Kairos for college, Revive for young adults, because it's not, oh, someday they'll be a part of the church. Someday they'll come back. We want to plant the seeds of faith now and give you that foundation now. You are the church right now. We love you. And some people will say, boy, that's a lot of effort and energy for the youth, John. I mean, what about all of us, you know, like the adults and everything? Why, why the emphasis on youth? I mean, they're so young. They really understand it all. Do they, do they get what they're saying? Every single week I ask our two kids that are almost six and eight <laughs> what they learned from the sermon, what they got. And normally it's something about Jesus or squirrels or something like that. And last week I went to our five-year-old right now, our five-year-old daughter, Evie, and I said, Evie, what did you learn from Pastor Her's sermon last week? This is a five-year-old. And without hesitating, she stood up, she looked me in the eyes, and she said, Daddy, I learned that it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is because God loves all of us, and so we should love each other. And I looked at her, I said, preach it, girl! You preach it! Don't tell me that children and youth don't matter. Don't tell me that what we're doing here doesn't matter. Don't tell me that what you do from the very earliest age matters. Parents, grandparents, family members, church. Let's be a church that lifts up and celebrates the youth and the children of our church because they matter to God, so they should matter to us. Let's lift them up. And here's the reality. They're watching you. And they're asking the question, what does it mean to be the church? To bring it back to where we started, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And they're watching you. Oh, you know, for our family, it's like a once a week thing. So we come for Sunday for an hour, but then we don't really talk at our house about Jesus because that's what I see. Yeah, we, we kind of, we get really busy with sports and other activities, so we just kind of do it when it's convenient. So like, Jesus is sort of like over here, and then the rest of life is over here. Yeah, they're watching you. They're listening to us. They're watching what's happening with Hope Elam, and they're watching what happens out there before and between and after the services. I guess I just kind of see the black people talking to black people and the white people talking to white people, and I've got some really good news for you. Not here. Not at this church. Not at Hope Elam. That's not how we do things here because Jesus is alive, and he's breaking down the walls between us, and that's not what they're going to see here. They're going to see a group of people that's all in, that their hearts are burning inside of them, that follow Jesus every day, and that's what it means to be the church. And so instead of consuming, this is where we end today in my challenge for you. Instead of saying, what's in it for me? What can I get? The challenge is, what can I give? Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, play your part. Play your part. He says, for just as each of us has one body with many members... They do not all have the same function. In Christ, they form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts. Amen? Praise God that we have different gifts according to the grace given us. And a great example of this is the band, half of which led you in worship this morning are the students, are the youth of this church. They have gifts, and they're saying, I got a gift. I'm sharing it. Are you using your gift? Are you sitting on it? Are you waiting 
for when everything's perfect in your schedule and things calm down or you feel like it. Let the students be an example to you. They're getting up in front of hundreds of people and saying, I don't know how to play this instrument perfectly, but I want to worship and I'm going to do it. I love the example that our band is because each of them plays something different. I'm so glad that they have the parts that they had. If we mixed it all up and they all played a different instrument, that would sound interesting. We all have different gifts. I'm so glad that Emma and Deshaun and Jed lead us and sing, and it's not Pastor Hurst and I leading up here because that would be terrible. We all have our different gifts. Play your part. What part has God given you to play in the band called Hope Elam? Every single one of you, not just on the stage, in everything we do outside these walls, play your part. God is forming this beautiful orchestra called Hope Elam, and you've been invited to contribute a verse. Stop consuming. Play your part. I want to end with a short clip, believe it or not, an Apple commercial, and no, this is not an official endorsement by the church. But a couple years ago, the, the late Robin Williams, they took some of his words from the famous movie Dead Poet Society and they put them in this commercial and the challenge is to contribute a verse, to be the church, to play your part. Let's take a look. And the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse because the mission of God was here long before any of us and will continue long after we're gone. And we have a few short, delicate years on this earth to be a part of something that matters, a mission that's bigger than you. It's never been about Hope Elam. It's always been about the Missio Dei, the mission of God. It goes on, and you may contribute a verse. Don't miss your opportunity to play your part, to find your place in the band called Hope Elam. And it may be as simple as just starting out and serving once a month, saying, I'm going to be a part of the hospitality team that does an incredible job. And we have some people that serve, that do it every single week. Would you serve with them? Would you come alongside them and lead in that way? Maybe it's not about you saying, I've got my comfortable seat here, but there's hundreds of people worshiping with us across the nation and now around the world, apparently. Would you volunteer to be a part of the production team? If you love Jesus and you have fingers, you're qualified. We can train you and help people experience the gospel in that way. Maybe it's investing in the next generation and serving with our Hope Kids ministries that's happening right now and will eventually be growing to adding the nine o'clock service as well because Hope Kids continues to grow and so we get to add another children's opportunity, praise God. And maybe, maybe it starts under your own roof. Maybe Jesus wants to light the fire again so that you can start discipling your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, your friends, your neighbors. If it doesn't work at home, don't export it. Start there. That's your number one ministry. Start leading your family spiritually. Step up and be who God's called you to be. Not for an hour on Sunday mornings. All throughout the week, they're watching you and they're asking, does that fire burn bright? And if it doesn't, ask Jesus this morning, light the fire again. Light the fire again so that you can feel it burning within your heart. Amen? Let's stand and prepare our hearts for Holy Communion.